Welcome to 2021, everybody, where things are a little dicey. Am I right? I mean, how much longer can we do this for? You know what I'm saying? How much longer can we stand things the way they are? I mean, nobody's happy. Everyone's miserable. We're all sick and we're tired and we're starting to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. I mean, in America alone, obesity is through the roof. Depression is through the roof. Meaningful relationships are missing in action. Much like someone else we all know. Texas power grid on the verge of collapse. Every power grid probably on the verge of collapse. I mean... The country is living off of the work of the baby, or the, the baby boomers, the post-war generation, the greatest generation. They came back, and the baby boomers' parents came back, built everything, retired, and then they had these kids born into the softest world, the boomers. Who thought, hey, life is, will always be forever and always has been from the beginning of time this cushy. I mean, America right now is a strip mall in the middle of a small town. Sun bleached, art fair, artwork in the window, furniture from the 80s. And a smartphone running the point-of-sale system. I mean, we have barely made it this far. I mean, America is exhausted. There's nothing exciting about our culture. In fact, our culture is garbage. It's such trash. America, the ideal is beautiful. Certain institutions are wonderful people, full of wonderful people. I should say every institution is full of wonderful people. Certain institutions are the last things keeping us from collapsing. I mean, honestly, folks, honestly, can we continue this much longer? We're living off of the classic American move, the pump and dump. If it wasn't for universities pumping financial aid money into small towns everywhere, if it wasn't for the military keeping the insane dictators across the world at bay, if it wasn't for Silicon Valley creating public offerings for boomers to gamble on, I mean, what else, and what, where else are we able to create value at scale in America right now? Wall Street, obviously, is another one of those institutions. I mean, it's like, 10% of America is holding up the weight of the entire country and really the world. Because where do our, where do the world's inventions come from? They come from America, you know? If we stop inventing, the whole world's quality of life plateaus and plummets. Maybe something changes. I don't know. But I was joking with my wife saying, I was talking about fasting and how 
women view fasting as starving yourself, as body shaving, and men view fasting as some sort of like psychedelic rite of passage, like a beginning of a vision quest. Neither of these views are healthy. But my wife always teases me about my culture, my tradition, my Persian roots, and certain and the and the negative things that have stood the test of time or have been passed down generation to generation to me. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And I always agree with her because I agree with that there's negative aspects of my culture that I'm dealing with in my life today. But I'm like, I like to flip the script as much as I can and be like, all right, all right, all right. What about your culture? And this like blank look goes up. She's like, what culture? What do you mean? And I was just like, I saw opening and I jumped on it. I'm like, oh, you don't know you have a culture? You think everyone was raised with your ideals and ideas and perspective. You think American culture is the normal and everything else is different. And if you don't travel enough to other worlds, other countries, you don't notice how different your culture is from theirs. And so, of course, she has a culture. She has to have a culture. Everybody has a culture. You don't get by without a culture. You end up just absorbing it. It's there. You were born into a culture. Everyone is born into a culture. And she was lucky because she was raised in a small town with a big, loving family that had the their priorities right i mean really good priorities and all those kids are good well adjusted people i mean they are good people in the world and that's why you know your friends say i don't want to bring a, another kid into this world they don't want to have kids only my smart friends say that it's like bro who if smart people stop having kids we're doomed you're the one that has to have a kid if you're making enough money, you should be given like a tax credit to have a kid. You're doing something right. Keep going. But our culture is just garbage. Nobody is happy. And the people that create our culture are so far removed from those that consume it. And we have an unhealthy balance of people that are obsessed with creating culture and those that are obsessed with consuming it. And in many ways, social media has changed that, but it too has these limitations. Like it's become obvious that all technology is not by default good and therefore progress. Some technology is great. Most technology is awful. It is if if it wasn't the case, if I was wrong, if that statement is false, then why is our culture such garbage when all we've done is praise the technological entrepreneur as the new messiah? Right? Their vision, their prophetic, blah blah blah. But they're just creating garbage in many instances. And whatever they do create that is really impactful is this really sharp, double-edged sword that cuts both ways. And people might say, like, oh, Silicon Valley, 
Social media has done such good for the world. It liberated the oppressed in the Arab Spring. Really? They don't look very liberated today. You got slave markets in Libya. You got failed states across the board. I think Tunisia was like the one country that made it out alive. Iran didn't get liberated. It's withstood the color revolution, which was absurd. I couldn't believe it. I mean, what technology has actually made our lives better? I'm sick and tired of these fancy websites, these people that build fancy websites thinking that what they're making is absolutely the only thing that is, that their future is the only future that we should all want to be in, and we should be grateful for them to be creating these fancy websites for us. They don't solve real problems. They just create new ones. I was on Clubhouse the other night. Joe Rogan was on. I saw on Twitter. I was like, oh, that's that's wild. So I jump over to Clubhouse. And the the room is full. 8,000 people. I'm like, holy shit. So I'm just tapping the button, seeing if that'll work for a couple seconds. And lo and behold, it works. Someone had just left, and I got in. So now I'm sitting there in a pool of 8,000 losers like myself, listening to Joe Rogan and another comedian, uh, Tim Dillon, talk about Clubhouse. Naval, Kermit the Frog was there. And one of the Weinstein brothers, Weinstein brothers, excuse me, and one of the co-founders of Clubhouse. And the way these people talk about technology makes you want, it's so cringy. It's so cringe. It's so bad. Naval is going on and on and on about how I don't even remember what he was saying, but I was shocked at the way he was saying it. Like, he's talking down to Joe Rogan, who's the wisest person in the room, bar none. I mean, of the speakers anyway. And there's another comedian, a female comic, I can't remember her name, Leah, and then Tim Dillon, and maybe one other person I can't recall. But, you know, it's about like, uh, you know, a little more than half a dozen people. It 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 was a lot of speakers, if you will. And they're talking, and the techno elites are talking about Oh, no, 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 no. This is the way the future... They're talking about things as if they are already set in stone. As if they're already givens. As if... As if it's obvious the way we should be headed. And I'm sitting there. I want to disagree because I vehemently disagree with their statements. And I realize in this like beautifully absurd moment that my only recourse in this situation is a little button they put on the bottom. I can't speak. I can't chat. I can't do anything. I can't speak with my other, you know, attendees, 
We can't communicate in any shape or form. We can only leave quietly. That's one option. The other option is to invite somebody. Third option is to, and I'm not kidding you when I say this, raise your hand. So I'm like, great, I'm now in college. I didn't pay for this. So I don't actually buy in to this situation. And all I can do is raise my hand. Like, I'm back in seventh grade with a 22 or 24-year-old blonde teacher that knows nothing about the world teaching me history that she's reading from a book that she's never experienced or even thought about before this. In seventh and eighth grade, all we had were these hot teachers that knew nothing about the world. And back then, I didn't know what that meant, but we just all kind of knew they were like pretty, you know, we were just becoming aware of like, of, of that layer of life. So it was like, it was a constant joke. And we had these, you know, bimbo teachers because they were really dumb too. And they didn't teach us anything. And all they did was reprimand us when we didn't listen because we didn't respect their authority because they had none, yet they pretended like they did. And so they enforced it constantly on us. And so I had a hell of a bad time in seventh and eighth grade and junior high. I acted out the most in my life during those years. And so here I am again, a small child listening to the lectures. But I disagree completely with their statements or their direction that they believe the world is headed in. Yet I can't speak. I'm given no voice by the person who invented the platform. I'm in his app. Let me talk. I'm thinking to myself, this is insane. The way these people of uh, that are creating our culture that have all the resources, all the connections, all the time create the world that they believe in that should be created the difference between them and us who get to sit there and enjoy the privilege of them discussing the world they're going to create for us aren't we so lucky we blessed to have these elites who give us a button to raise our hand And so they assume they're right because they're wealthy and they're financially successful and they've been right, you know, enough times to, to, to rise to the top of their, you know, circles, their industries perhaps. But they don't realize there's a lot of other smart people in the world who simply don't have access to the resources to create the time to think about the world they want to create. They're stuck in survival mode. A, B of all, they were chosen. At the end of the day, they had to play a game to be chosen for venture capital. And C, they may be, you know, it's more, business is more like baseball in that if you're right 10% of the time, you're doing good. If you're right 15, if you're right 20% of the time, you're going to be doing great. And if you're right 30% of the time, you're going to be world famous. You're a hall of fame material. 
because it's that hard to hit the ball out of the park. I myself have been swinging for a decade, and I've just connected, man. And now I got to swing and swing and swing. You know, now I got to play a new game, which is very frank. The game is very fractal-like and very bizarre, but it is what it is. But just because you're amazing, if you don't realize that you're batting 30% and you don't have the humility to assume by default, therefore, even if you were one of the best in the world at your, in your industry, you're most, you're probably still wrong about anything else in life. And so any prediction you make, you're probably still wrong. How could you be above you no one is makes 50% in the business world uh, of hits 50% of the balls they swing for you either go for it or you go cash a you know paycheck in which case you're not playing the same game you're playing like bowling or something like that where there's a lot more pins to hit etc it's a very different game and so these guys just assume they're right because they've been right 10 to 30% before. And they assume they're right because they have connections to capital, which has allowed them to think about the world they want to create. And here we are sitting in their fucking app where you can't communicate with them at all and you just have to listen to them. And Clubhouse is one of the better ones. You go on Twitter, you any other social media site, sure, you can leave a comment, but you can't communicate with someone who's changing the world or affecting the world in any meaning, you know, to any meaningful degree. In fact, the more meaningful degree to which you're affecting the world, the more likely, the you know, the, the likelihood of engaging with them drops to zero rather quickly. I mean, think about engagement versus followers on Twitter, for instance. You're engaging up to 1,000 followers. By the time you hit 10,000, you can't engage. By the time you hit 100,000, you're not engaging at all. By the time you hit a million, it's zero. If you're above a million, it's negative. You probably have someone else doing your, you know, posting for you, or you post and you just don't even look at the comments. You refuse to look at the comments. So there's 0% chance, right? And so we have no dialogue with the elites. And they assume that if we had good ideas, this is what I think is going on. They assume that if we had good ideas, we would simply present them and make and pursue those good ideas. But they have no idea the value that the opportunity that comes from that they inherit from their parents. No idea. You either work every month for rent or you don't. And if you don't, you're in this like 10%, top 10% of the world. And you can think about your legacy. You know what I mean? Top 10% of America. I mean, and. The interesting thing, though, there is that more people are joining the middle class, and that is when you start thinking about your legacy. You know, might be 20% of America. I don't know. But 
these people are making fancy websites they think are amazing. They're full of their own, smelling their own farts. And then, you know, how can you deny too? Like they go public and the pump and dump gets them insanely rich. And people are so desperate for growth stories, for feel-good financial stories that we're headed somewhere, making progress, we're doing something in this empty garbage culture that we've kind of just let wind down into this bland veneer of greatness that we have inherited from people that did not work for it generationally speaking right we were great america was great when it defeated nazism that was the last time it was really great i mean what the fuck have we done since then honestly our kids are shooting each other in our schools our power grid is failing our our television is toxic our people are sick what the fuck are we doing and so i don't see any way out of this except mass innovation like what else can you do besides innovate against the inevitable entropy of a decaying civilization. America is the greatest fucking idea this world has ever produced. It's so good. It's so good because it allows itself to change and adapt. And so we need, we need new software. You know, we can get a lot more out of our hardware. Fixing our hardware is not going to change things much. There's enough everywhere right now, enough resources, enough access to everything right now, that the simplest way to get a boost is to upgrade the software. And then, with a clear head, we can invent new hardware. What am I talking about hardware? I'm talking like infrastructure. Manufacturing capacity, right? Roads, bridges, school buildings, uh, food uh, distribution, like railway systems. All that stuff's pretty decent. And where it's not decent, it could be patched up pretty quickly. But the problem is we don't know how to operate it. There's no user manual for America. And people have forgotten how to run this country. And I mean from the PTA level, right, the Parent Teacher Association, to the fucking highest halls of power. And so, yeah, everyone's just trying to get money because that'll give you some room. But making money without the humility to reinvest it back into your your culture, your community, to create a better culture, at least locally? That is dumb. What kind of psychopath would want to do that? 
That's a childish endeavor, hoarding money, right? You make money, you better invest it in your community. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Don't be dumb. What kind of a stupid idiot would do that, right? In fact, the only reason, one of the two reasons Silicon Valley is so successful, and I mean Silicon Valley as in, you know, the San Francisco, Oakland, um, Menlo Park triangle, if you will, is because A, there is access to pre-revenue capital. Because there's enough people that have made enough money, angel that become angel investors, that finance entrepreneurs before they even have income, revenue coming in the door. That's the major bottleneck of any ecosystem. Any, oh, talk about tech ecosystems in a second. And then second is the density of software companies that are all funded by VCs that need new services and tools. So they sell to each other and they kind of act as an initial incubator, giving feedback and income or payment to new tech companies. And the tech that it proliferates through that ecosystem is deemed worthy to, you know, scale out of that ecosystem. If it meets the needs of the tech entrepreneurs enough, right, fast enough, enough, if it catches fire there, then it's like a good sign that it has a shot of going national, international. Although that's also hardly the case. That's like a still 90% fail. You know what I mean? But it, that's kind of like the first that's seen as the first stepping stone. Now that has its own inherent flaws because you're you're basing your you're creating your marketing and sales personas as people uh, around people that live in the val in that triangle and are most often funded by VCs and are doing the whole thing. So that only works with like technology, really. It doesn't work with consumer goods, you know, Juso or Juicero or Juice whatever and right the average consumer is not the average in America is not the average consumer in that triangle. So you have to still, it's still a very imperfect system. And so in a, in an effort to replicate that magic, everyone in America has a Silicon Valley now, right? Prairie, Silicon Prairie, Silicon this, Listen, man, unless there's manufacturing base cranking out silicon wafers, you don't have a Silicon Valley. Because that's what it took to start Silicon Valley. What you need, see, here's what I'm talking about. And then I went to, what was it, Rock Hill yesterday. Rock Hill, South Carolina. I'm like, it's Sunday, so, you know, the South is empty on Sundays. But the streets are empty in the South. No one's out. Yet we had a wonderful brunch. It was a great coffee shops, cute downtown, clean. Everything was nice. And I'm like, how is no one here? How does nobody know about this shit? Why is no one living in South in Rock Hill, South Carolina? And we we walk to a building, and it's it turns out to be part of City Hall, and it's like a technology incubator. And I'm like, listen, you dumb dumbs. There's no technolo- technologists here. You've scared them all away with your, what would you call it? 
what's it called? When like your puritanical culture. As soon as you know anyone that's on the fringe of society that wants to anyone that is different enough to have different viewpoint is is uncomfortable and not explicitly welcome during their childhood, they leave as soon as they can. And so they flee to San Francisco where they can let their freak flag fly. And that freedom of thought creates is the same, you know, there's the same thing that creates their original ideas probably creates original behaviors, if you will. And the South doesn't like that as much or isn't used to that. So they think they can get the technology aspect without the, you know, <clears throat> weirdness. And you can't. You need a bunch of liberals that are eager to collaborate. So everyone has these technology incubators, but they're not incubating any technology. And the technology, if you have a decent idea, you don't go to... If you have a if you have a good technology idea or a good software idea, you you get the fuck out of wherever you are and you get to where the capital is and the, and the customers are, right? So and this is changing and this is changing enough that there's a new opportunity, but it's not the way people it's not the opportunity people think it is. The opportunity for these small towns is in attracting technology workers to live and work remotely. Which is a completely different pitch, but it's much better suited to these com- these small towns like Rock Hill, South Carolina. Come down here. We'll give you an apartment for free if you you know if you work for such and such, or we'll you know we'll do whatever we can. And just come and work from Rock Hill, South Carolina. That's all these small towns need to be thinking about. How do we get remote workers to live here? You talk about the weather, you talk about the food, you talk about the, you know, opening uh, the, the entrepreneurial opportunities, you talk about the local geography, you talk about uh, local uh, travel, right? Quality of life. It's a different thing. Your money will go further in the South. If they come there and they bring their income, they also bring their talent and their networks. And before you know it, you're going to get more retail operations opening up. You're going to get more startup ideas being based out of there. You're going to have their friends come visit. This is the route for small America. And the thing is, it's a beautiful infrastructure. There's just nobody there. You can tell the town doesn't have that much money. It's doing okay, but it's not doing as well as it as it could be. And so on the flip side, these conservative cities have used their budgets wisely. They haven't overbuilt. They haven't overspent, right? That's why they're not um, overflowing with people because they haven't, like, built expensive tourism attractions and so on that they can't afford or railway systems that can't pay for themselves. And so you have this beautiful infrastructure waiting for people to come and move in and bring their income with them. It's happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, and this place is fucking legit. Tons of money, tons of smart people, tons of opportunity, tons of action. Beautiful city. Super high-end. Super, super high-end. Very impressed. Love it here. But you got to make money to be here, at least to be in the thick of it. So, it's like a... It makes sense for people 
that are coming in from with really high paying remote jobs, but it may not make sense for others. Now, this is what I'm talking about, new software, a new way of thinking. We need to get all these small cities thinking differently about technology development. It is an easy win. It's an easy win. Get these people to your town. Celebrate them. And like literally all you have to do, all you have to do is get the mayor of the city on Twitter reaching out to folks. The mayor of Miami is doing this and he's getting like top tier Silicon Valley brass to move down. And it's going so well, he's becoming like famous for it. He's getting on TV now. It's like his recruitment game is fire because he's just talking to these people. And so instead of moving to Austin, like they were all going to do, a lot of them heard about Miami, went down there like, dude, this is, this fits my lifestyle better. Right now, Miami, more expensive. You have to have more money to move there. So only the highest earners can make that decision. But across all these other companies that are all remote right now, everyone's remote. Forget the top 10% of profitable companies. Let's talk about the middle 70%. All those workers are remote. They can move for their kids, with their kids anywhere. If they don't have kids, they do have kids, right? A lot of them want a better life for their kids. And there's no place safer than these small cities in the South. Let's be honest. You could buy up so much land. You could build such a nice house. You can send them to such a nice school. You could travel every weekend and still spend less than you would have in, you know, trying to make it as like a director or a manager or whatever in Silicon Valley, New York, or LA or even Chicago. So this is one of my new focuses or or just I can't get over this idea of like we need a new operating manual for America. We need to rewire America's hardware. We need to hack America because it's got great infrastructure that's wholly underutilized. There's too much strain and to in, in in the wrong you know in certain plot parts and there's too little in other parts we have to like balance the load and then we can start thinking about next generation of infrastructure if we in, start investing heavily into infrastructure right now as a nation we will waste so much money because we're going to build shit that's based that needs to connect to or work with we're going to be we're going to be in the wrong mindset we're going to say like it's it's like you build a computer in the 90s and it runs, you know, Windows 95. And then instead of, and then you run it for years, right? And then instead of upgrading the software to the furthest it can go, and maybe, you know, you own it for five, 10 years, let's say a long time, like too long in the world of desktop PCs, instead of upgrading it to a low latency operating system like, Ubuntu, Linux, so that you can get more out of the existing hardware you already have, you say, 
I'm going to upgrade this system and then I'm going to run Windows 95 on the new system. It's the wrong order of priorities and it ruins the opportunities you had to gain efficiency. That's the situation we're dealing with. And it's all there. Every piece is on the table. You know, it's all there. It's all on the table. But nobody seems to know how to do it. And that's why I renamed this podcast to New Industrialist. Like, enough with the fancy websites. We need manufacturing. We need retail. We need the other 80% of the workforce needs to be modernized. You can't keep modernizing technology, the technology sector, because there's not enough. How could you have one room in your house, if there's five rooms in your house, and you only invest in one room? At a certain point, you can't invest, you can't, you shouldn't invest any more into one room until you bring the rest of the house up to date. And while everyone's obsessed with the scalability of software businesses, the false positive rate, the odds of success are still very low. The problem is that we've gotten obsessed with optimizing software business growth, starting and growing software businesses. And Silicon Valley doesn't understand, it seems, that that's just one type of business and you can't just apply those best principles to the rest of the economy because other businesses don't scale like a software business does. They're very different. Restaurants are very different than software and they don't want to bother, right? And so they just, and so we're all stuck in this, like, everything's got to be a Silicon Valley. It's like, no, it doesn't. Home Depot scaled exponentially. Starbucks scaled exponentially. Rapid COVID COVID testing, at-home kits, that scaled exponentially. And so everyone's obsessed with software. No one is like practicing how to scale the other 80% that we need to scale. The interesting thing for me is that it's a blue ocean opportunity. And I mean, multiple blue ocean. Everything is a blue ocean opportunity right now outside of software. Software is too crowded, too expensive, I think, too overplayed, too much noise. Like just look at marketing technology. It's like 10,000 softwares. None of them do what you needed to do. It's insane. In fact, my first exit is going to be a software business, and I'm never fucking going back. I'm only like, wait till you see the kind of businesses I'm starting. All I need is my first one to just work a little bit, and I will be a goddamn uh, a business starting machine, a business man. Software is fucking easy. It's so easy. It's so easy. You write code that you could change overnight. People can work anywhere in the world. 
There's more than, there's like a giant talent pool. Everyone uses it. There's in capital everywhere. It's the easiest business to succeed in. It's also the most boring business to operate. Because you're looking at screens all day. You never talk to the fucking end user. Because you have so many. It's all office work. At the end, you, you can't touch what you've made. It's all ethereal. And we're all staring at our phones too much and screens too much anyway, right? It's like, ugh. So I'm personally, I got to talk to him today. I'm putting a team of heavy hitters together to run this business for me because I don't want to fucking run it, man. I'm getting a CEO, CFO, and a COO to run this goddamn thing because I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. The, the, the company is a, I'll say this, marketing automation for restaurants. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. That's one project. Another project, because all I do is think about the philosophy and physics of business, business dynamics, and this theory I've been developing and testing. And the only reason I'm doing all this shit is because I wanted to prove my theory was right. And then I found it's so much fun to make money and build businesses, especially when you know, you think you know what you're doing or you have like a framework to, to lean on that it's like addicting. The juice is so good. So there's that, you know, there's my marketing work, which I'm going to automate into a training program and run webinars on, I think later this year, showing people how to be the marketing department, the entire, how one person can be the entire marketing department of a business to business company of a, of an entire company, a small to mid-sized business. And, uh, so there's that. And then I'm getting into uh, I want to get into real estate and the way in, I think, is into uh, upgrading or installing home farms, which I've mapped out and priced out as a really high margin, not high margin, but a high profit model, low, like it's a business, it's a lifestyle business where I can build these farms and then end up flipping, buying homes, installing the farms and flipping them and offering it as like an aftermarket service for, for homes. and. Uh, I got some emails to send there to get that off the ground. I got hit with a bunch of bills. I'm like, I got to get more money in my pocket. This is, it's time. And then my uh, industrial plant extract business, which I'm the CEO of, that's fucking moving, man. I'm signing a, I signed a lease. We got a fucking world-class R&D farm. I got my COO and co-partner, uh, co-founder. I got, we got this amazing CFO. Uh, bringing in, I think, another advisor. You know, everyone we talk to wants our stuff. It's like unbelievable. World class partners. That's going to be a hit. That's a, but it's a big company. It only works at industrial scales. So you have to plan for mass production. There's no, you know, you got to understand business first off. And there's some companies where you have to mass produce. You can't make a living manufacturing one TV at a time. It just doesn't work. People don't buy TVs like that, right? And so this has to work at 100,000 square foot facilities at that scale, multiple, right? There's so much 
uh, plant extracts being used in the world right now. The volume is so high because there's so much food being produced. It's like absurd. So, and I think those four will be enough and they'll fit into my life in different ways and I'll delegate everything. I'll put all my uh, friends and family to work because I, I know what they can do and I need help immediately. You know what I mean? And it, it, there'll be a blend, you know, like cellular farms. You can't get in through me. I don't have, I'm not going to be, there's no, the, the, the hiring standards are extremely specific and that's a, um, going to be an ext- a more technical business. Then there's, you know, there's going to be Farmbrook, which is more of a lifestyle business. So we can make mistakes. It's okay. Right. There is no time clock on our head saying we have to get to some future point in three to five years or else this whole thing's fucked. Right. No, this is just for fun. So I can include anyone I like to work with. Right. Anyone I enjoy working with, we can work together there. And then the um, the webinar training stuff, that's just going to be me and maybe my per- my family, you know, have my I don't know. Uh, like when my wife, maybe I just run it. Maybe I hire some kids to run it. It's not that complicated. You know, I never, I never like forcing my wife having to work. Like one of my biggest luxuries in life is letting her not work. That's a really big deal to me. So, and wherever she wants to fit in, she wants to fit in. Um, and then the software is me and three buddies, you know what I mean? And I'm going to let, they're going to decide on the hiring and firing on that. I'm just putting the deal together, if you will. So I'm putting a deal together. I am trying to license it to a company, exclusively license it to one company for a one-time lifetime access cash uh, fee. I'm going to pocket as much of that money as I possibly can, if not 100% of it, and then turn around and, and, and you know make sure everyone understands we're going to pursue this as a business. You can license this marketing software and you'll be the only ones to have this white labeled under your brand. And then we're going to run with it ourselves and we can send you leads when it makes sense uh, when you want them effectively for some like commission, you know, but otherwise we're going to go pursue it on our own and probably target a different you know part of the market and just try to run as fast as we can. And if we get exit, you get, you know, you keep your code base and, you know, if you exit, we keep our thing and stuff like something like that. Um, and then, and then I think my parents are moving down here to Charlotte. There's a little town in um, the south of Charlotte called Waxhaw, North Carolina. And it is right on the border of South Carolina. It's so cool. It's so cute. It's very family friendly. It's 30 minutes from North Carolina, uh, from Charlotte, which is kind of a lot in this part of the woods, but it only adds like, you know, 15 minutes to my, uh, to my commute and, um, you know, my, to my longest commute, which is up in Kannapolis, North Carolina, which is 40 minutes away from my current home, but only an hour away from this far South home. So it's not that crazy. And, um, and I like the way of life down there. It's a lot of equestrian people. It's on the border of a lot of farmland. The downtown is really cute and has a lot of good retail concepts in it. Like there's good fucking bones, the community there. I think my parents are going to move down from Chicago and I want to get involved in the community, you know, 
I want to help people prosper, man. We can all do better together than we could apart, period. Full stop. And uh, and I might start riding a goddamn cow or a, <laughs> a horse to work. I might get a freaking horse. And you know why? You know what? Why not? Never in a million years did I consider I'd be riding a horse anywhere in my life. But I'm like, who cares? Who cares? All of those ideas of the bourgeois and the elites and all this stuff, it's all bullshit. It's people all the way down. And you can get trapped in this us versus them, as I felt. And it, it does exist. But you have to remove yourself and you have to understand they're just people. They have access to things. Therefore, you're a person and therefore you can get access to things. And right now is the time for new ideas. So pick a problem and try to solve it. It's that simple, people. Peace.